Please turn with me to Ephesians and chapter 1. It's good to see uh, a full auditorium this uh, morning. I suspect that there might be an overflow in the uh, chalet uh, either today or not too far from now. And uh, we thank the Lord for the easing of uh, the COVID situation so that uh, more and more individuals are, are coming out for actual physical meetings. Back to Ephesians and uh, chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And um, I will read beginning with verse 15. Beginning with verse 15, although we are looking this morning at uh, verse 18 to verse 19. If you are with me, I commence reading. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places we'll end our reading there we are currently looking at this section in which the Apostle Paul is responding to the salvation that is in others. It is within the series of messages entitled Celebrating the Unsearchable Riches of Christ. Celebrating, remember, celebrating the unsearchable riches of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have noticed as we have come into this new section that the Apostle Paul responds in two ways. First of all, in praise, and secondly, in prayer. It's obvious that we should respond in praise because the work of salvation is a work of God. It's God who does it. It is absolutely impossible for us to save ourselves, not even to contribute so that we, in that sense, might perhaps make God finish the work. No. He is the one who elected in eternity. He is the one who sent his son, and the son died for us on the cross some 2,000 years ago. He is the one who invades our lives by his spirit in order to rescue us from sin. So it is a work of God. We praise him. 
we saw that in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you. But we've also noticed that the second response has been that of prayer. The Apostle Paul prays for the believers. And it is in the aspect of prayer that we are then continuing to look. First of all, last week we saw um, that he prays primarily for more of the Spirit in the lives of believers. That the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That he may give you more of the spirit. And we said that it's not so much in terms of quantity because the spirit is a person. You either have him or you don't. But rather, it is in terms of the effect that the spirit has on us. The impact of his working in our lives that that might be more and more and the main issue there is related to the way he is spoken of as the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation and therefore producing in us more knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so again that's what we are looking at today but the main thing that we were challenged about last week, therefore, is to make sure that we are not only praying for fellow believers, that, but that we are primarily praying for spiritual knowledge, spiritual knowledge in them, because everything relies on that. Everything grows out of that. Well, what we are looking at today is the apostle taking us one step further. Okay, so we are praying that believers may have more of the spirit, that they may consequently have spiritual knowledge. Well, what are the things that believers, Christians, need to know? What are they in the mind of the apostle Paul? What exactly is he hoping for as the Spirit of God works in the lives of God's people? We need to realize that Paul was an apostle. And apostles were elders, although not all elders were apostles. I think it's important to qualify that. He was an elder. And because of his specific calling... He was not always with God's people because he had God's people in different places. Apostles were over all the churches. And so wherever it was that he was as he was writing this letter, and we all know he was at this point in prison, he nonetheless was concerned for the flock. And therefore, he was praying for them though he could not be with them physically. And so he's telling us here what he particularly prays to God for them about. What is it that, according to Paul, are three 
essential truths that God's people need to know. And once they know, once it's really embedded in them spiritually, Paul can be anywhere else on the planet. He can even be dead for all that. He knows that they will be victorious. Well, these are the three things that he mentions for us in verse 18 and verse 19. Let's quickly make our way through them because these are also what we need, what every Christian needs to know. He says there, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. First then, we all need to know the hope to which God has called us. In other words, it is simply to know where we are going. To know where we are going. He says there that uh, you, in the knowledge of him that you might know the hope to which he has called you. Now, if you're a person who ever suffers from depression, you know how hope is so vital to life. This sense of waking up in the morning and you are looking forward to the day. This hope of coming to the end of a month and you are looking forward to next month. This hope of looking into the future and you, 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 you feel a sense of energy, a sense of zest that this is what life is all about. It, it's, it's, it just differentiates people into two complete categories. Individuals who have no hope, they can be eating the same food, breathing the same air that you are breathing. They can be clothed better than you are even clothed. You might even have the same um, work that you do in terms of your offices where you work and so on and so forth. And yet they are miserable. Miserable. That's, that's the way the lack of hope is. That's, that's what depression does to individuals. It leaves you in that particular way. And yet individuals who have hope, even when they are in a situation that is bad, 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 you find that they are full of joy. Full of joy. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. It's a, a passage that I've referred to many times before, but it's worth getting back to it again. Listen to the Christian. Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And notice the way he puts it. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We, we are already rejoicing in what? In this hope that we have as believers. 
hope in sharing in something of that glory that awaits us beyond the grave. Again, he repeats here, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. There it is. The believers are suffering, and yet they are rejoicing. Why? Again, it's because of this hope. He puts it this way. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. There it is. Hope. And this hope does not disappoint us or put us to shame. In other words, it is a sure hope. It is a certain hope. And may I suggest to you that that's what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 1. When he says that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you, what he's really saying there is that you might know what is the certainty of the hope to which he has called you. It is this certainty, this realization that we will never be disappointed. This is going to happen. Now, uh, an obvious example that I can speak about. Imagine you are in a, in a prison, and it's not because of something wrong that you did, but it's because of rebels that have invaded your territory and taken you captive, and they've locked you up, and so on. And uh, the, the, you, you've been there for quite some time, and then suddenly, suddenly, at night, you hear gunshots, and uh, somebody announces to you that the, the, the government has sent the top squad to come and rescue you. And sure enough, the, the guards who were there over you, the rebels, are now running in every direction for their lives. And as you're hearing gunshots, they are being killed left, right, and center. You are still in prison. You're still in prison. And yet, you will be rejoicing. There will be a lot of excitement in prison. People are hugging one another. They are still in prison. Why the excitement? It's because they know we are out of here. They've got a certain hope. A hope that will not disappoint them. A hope that will not be put, put them to shame. So when the Bible here is speaking in terms of that you may know what is the hope, it is not the way in which we, we speak in terms of, you know, I, I hope to pass my exams. I hope to get married. I, I hope to have children. I hope to be wealthy. I hope that kind of hope, let's face it, is really wishful thinking. That's what it is. It's wishful thinking. There is no absolute certainty that these things will be true of you. It's simply that which is in us as human beings that sort of takes us forward, somehow hoping that that's what's going to happen. When you are sick and you're in hospital, we say the same thing. I hope to get better. But a lot of people 
who are sick, we know. They die. They die. There's no 100% guarantee of so many things that we speak about when we say, I hope, I hope, I hope. But friends, listen to this. There's one thing that you can say, I hope, and it's going to happen. For a Christian, it's 100% guaranteed you get to heaven. 100%. There's not a single individual who's been elected in eternity past for whom Christ has died 2,000 years ago and the Holy Spirit has regenerated him in time who's going to get lost. Not a single one. So in the midst of all those wishful thinkings, this one does not qualify for it. This is something you can know. Why? Well, it's two reasons that the Apostle Paul has already hinted in. By the way, he referred to God at the beginning of the prayer when he said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember I said that this was hinting back to chapter 1 verse 3. And chapter 1 verse 3 puts it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, this hope that we have, the reason why it is certain is because it's the fruit of a covenant relationship between the father and the son the two entered into a covenant the father chose a people and gave them to his son and he said to his son you go and pay their price pay the price of dying in their place be their substitute once you've done it once you've paid the price, I will then give to you my spirit who will then bring them into the kingdom. Well, Christ has died. It's done. And therefore, every spiritual blessing that God had promised is now yea and amen in him. We will get to glory. The second reason is the second way in which he refers to God. He calls him the Father of glory. The Father of glory. In other words, that which we are looking forward to is secure in his home in his place it is safe in glory waiting for your arrival it will never spoil it will never fade 
Nobody will ever steal it. It's safe in glory. The Father of glory has it waiting for you there. Let's quickly read First Peter chapter 1. And I want you to notice how uh, Peter takes it for granted that these suffering believers he's writing to are actually rejoicing while they are suffering. And the reason why they are rejoicing while they are suffering is because of this same reality, the certainty of their hope. So, uh, look at the way he calls them in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. They've been scattered far and, and wide, like, like the people of Ukraine. They've had to leave their home, and, and, and they, they are refugees everywhere, everywhere. And it says they are in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and so on. Now listen to verse 3. He begins exactly the way Paul began. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not a wishful thinking. Not a dead hope. But a hope which is alive. Which burns in our soul through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where the guarantee is. Jesus Christ died, he's risen again, and now he's saying to the Father, give me that which is mine. As we shall be seeing in this evening service, Father, I pray that those whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Let's go on to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded, the power we'll look at in a moment, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And listen to verse 6. In this, you rejoice. You're rejoicing right now. The circumstances around you, he mentions it here. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. By various trials. Now, that's, that's the Christian, friends. It's a person who has a, a defiant hope. A certain hope. It's not wishful thinking. Not at all. The person knows that glory awaits me. And what Paul is saying here is that this is a fruit of the Spirit. As the Spirit is in you and he is making the, the eyes of your heart to be enlightened, to see better, you realize that I have a home in glory for sure and consequently it defies your present circumstances and you are full of joy that's the first thing that he says 
believers need to know the certainty of our hope. Second, we all need to know God's glorious inheritance in us. God's glorious inheritance in us. In fact, to put it better, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in us. Let's again look at uh, verse 18. And this time we will notice the last part. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So what is the certainty of the hope to which he has called you? Then here it is. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, this phrase obviously is a little confusing because it sounds as if the Apostle Paul is saying that you may know what God will inherit in us. When really the statement there is speaking about what his inheritance is for us in glory. What his inheritance is for us in glory. And the way in which you easily see it is that the Apostle Paul makes this same prayer for the Colossians in chapter 1. At the beginning of Colossians, he makes a similar prayer. And there it becomes clearer. Colossians and chapter 1, verse 12. I'll begin from verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power. So again, we'll come to see that in a few minutes. According to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, there it is, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So he has qualified you to be a sharer in this inheritance. And that's primarily what Paul is speaking about. So when he speaks about the riches of his glorious inheritance, it's the sense in which a, a, a father or parents generally uh, will give their inheritance to their children. Their inheritance. It's theirs. But they are then passing it on to their children. And in this particular case, that's, that's the point here. It is the fact that God has prepared content in that glory. So we are not just certain of the hope, but we are, as we read God's word, we are, our eyes by the Spirit of God are being opened to what actually awaits us. Something, aspects of that which God has put in store, which cannot be stolen, which cannot decay, which, which awaits us in glory, that we may have some measure of knowing it. Now, let's face it. It's another world. 
And therefore, we cannot completely know. But what Paul is saying here is that what he wants us to know is the richness of that glorious inheritance. The richness. In other words, where you, you sort of stand back and you say, wow, wow. I mean, this is beyond description. Wow. And that's, that's basically the point he's speaking about here. It's, it's that in your spirit, in your inner person, you, you, you might be completely overwhelmed at the thought of what awaits you there in glory. I mean, just heaven itself, just the thought that you'll be in heaven. Throw in that you'll be in heaven with God himself, the one who has loved you infinitely. And if you're a Christian, you love him back. But now, to be with him in that place where he dwells and never ever to be, de to be parted away from him. And to realize that you will be in a glorified body, not just a spirit that has been made perfect, we'll come to that in a moment, but in a glorified body, in, in a body that is now like the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. A body that shines like something of that which is angelic out there in heaven. But more so, as I've already said, you are now perfected in spirit. In other words, there is no more any sin that is sinful tendency coming out of you. You are now absolutely perfect in holiness and the place where you are also has absolutely no sin no temptation whatsoever you are in a place what the bible refers to as the home of righteousness a place where there is no falling sick a place where there is no sorrow, never, absolutely zero. A place where there, there are no accidents that might happen. And therefore you, you, you suffer some kind of injury or some kind of loss. Zero, nothing of that whatsoever. A place where there is no death, nothing that the people you are with you will be with them forever and ever and ever a place where they, they are none of your enemies zero you left them all behind eh? those people who give you sleepless nights uh, at, at work they're trying to trap you and, and they're insulting you and, and doing all kinds of things against you you've left them all behind a place where you are surrounded only by saints saints who are also 100% perfected here we rub each other the wrong way every so often but they they are also absolutely perfected 
together with you. Where the streets are solid gold. Eh? No potholes. That sounds like heaven already. Eh? No potholes. In mansions that are bedecked with jewels. Where everything that you have labored for has now been turned into rewards. And those rewards are multiplied by God. Multiplied. And then given over to you. Every aspiration that you ever had in your soul as a human being and as a child of God fully satisfied in that place. That's the place Jesus said, I'm going to prepare for you. In fact, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in uh, 1 Corinthians and uh, chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. He says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, no the heart of man imagined. That is what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, it will blow our minds. Blow our minds. And yet what Paul is saying here is that he, he wants us as believers to, to have something of the sense of that place. Something of the sense of glory that makes us homesick. That makes us want to get there. That makes us say, I cannot wait because it's glorious. It's glorious. That's what Paul is referring to here in this chapter. That we might sense something of the riches of the glory. The glory that awaits us. Now, there's a third. There's a third. And the third is that we may know the power of God that's going to get us there. The power of God that is working in us to get us to glory. Let's go back to our text. He says there in uh, verse 18, Having the eyes of your eyes enlightened, that you may know, one, what is the hope to which he has called you, or the certainty of that hope, two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and three, verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And then he says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. 
I will leave the second part to be handled next time I am preaching. For now, I really just want us to concentrate on the way in which he puts it when he says that it is this power, this immeasurable power. He's saying, I want you to know this. When the Apostle Paul says that it is an immeasurable great power, what is basically saying, in, to use modern language, is that it is infinite. It is infinite. That's the way we would have put if it was today's language. That that's the, the, the power that, that God is using to bring you to glory. Let me put it a little differently. It's this. That God is not at the finishing line. Simply calling out, saying, come on, come on. You can do it. Come on. You are almost here. Come on. And everything is actually your own strength that is bringing it out. God is not like that. Every drop of energy that is moving you forward in sanctification, in holiness, in the ways of God, in worshiping God, in loving God, in serving God, in sacrificing for God, and everything else that can be spoken of is the power of God. It is his actual power that is at work within you. And friends, we need to realize that that's what a Christian is. You see, when we think of Christianity as simply one of those religions, and so you can be a Muslim, you can be a Hindu, you can be a Christian, we begin to think that it's just a, a set of belief systems that I have become convinced about. Because that's what it is with Islam and Hinduism and whatever other religion that there might be in the world. It's, it's all a set of beliefs that a person is living by. That's not so with Christianity. With Christianity, it's the power of God invading a human soul. It's preceded by regeneration. Changing us from the inside out. It is God himself, God, the creator of the entire universe, coming to make our heart his home. He comes to dwell there by his Holy Spirit. And when he comes to dwell within us, what he does is not to sit in a little corner somewhere waiting for us to invite him into one room or the other. He, he, he folds his sleeves and says, I'm getting to work now. That's why I'm in this soul. I'm getting to work. And he begins to deal with all that which is sinful and evil and, and wicked and, and, and selfish and, and, and not glorifying to God. He begins to deal with it. And that's the reason why you see a believer going from one degree of glory to another. It is the power of God at work. This is the power that defeats Satan 
so that he cannot but let go of you. It's not your own power. It is this infinite power that defeats a very powerful devil. It is this infinite power that breaks the bond between you and the world so that the world loses its attraction while other people are carried away with these toys of the world and so on. You look at all that and absolutely nothing in you that is making you feel let me also throw my everything into this. And especially in terms of the idolatry of the world that idolizes self that, that, that idolizes property, the things of this world. There's a deadness in you. A deadness. How? It's the infinite power of God in your soul. It's the power that also defeats indwelling sin remaining sin that is in you. Those sinful tendencies and habits and attitudes that even after salvation were still true about you. He is working. He is sweeping. He is cleaning. He is mopping. He is at work to take us from one degree of glory to the other. This is the power. Paul is saying, oh, that you may know this, that you may be conscious that God is at work within me. But it's not just defeating that which is negative. His power is also the one that ignites within you holy aspirations. Uh, this is the power that ignites within you uh, the, the desire to serve the Lord. Not just in terms of winning souls, but even in your job, in your career, in your profession. You are saying, Lord, this job, this career, this profession is for you. It's you I want to save through this. It's not about me. It's not about the amount of money I'm going to make out of this. No, I want you to be glorified. What gives you that passion, my friend? It's not yourself. It's this infinite power of God. It's what makes you be willing to even sacrifice. Not just serving the Lord but sacrifice for him. Godly. If it's in terms of persecution, you can say, yeah, take everything. Take everything you want. Just take, take everything. As the writer to the Hebrew says, that you rejoiced in the confiscation of your property. Confiscation, rather, of your property. You rejoiced in that. Rejoiced. We're happy. We say, take it, take it, come, take it. 
Just leave me with Christ. That's all. Just leave me with Christ. I will be happy. It's what makes you want to worship the Lord. To worship the Lord. Other people are ah, no church again. At home again reading the Bible. At home again praying. Ah, it's too much. But there's something in you. A, a, a real combustion chamber in your soul that longs for more and more of God. To worship Him. To glorify Him. So that God might be your all in all. What is it? The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So friends, those are the three things. Paul is saying, I want every Christian to know. Three things. And those are three things I pray for, for you, brethren, in Ephesus. Those three things. And all that we might learn to pray for one another like that. We often just pray for one another for, for physical things, for, for, for good health, for, for what we call traveling messes between point A and point B. Those are the kind of things we, we are normally praying for one another about. Sometimes believers ask you, they, they say, you know, okay, I've got the church directory and I can see the names. What will I be praying for them about? There it is. There it is. The prayer requests, they are there. Pray for fellow believers that way. And I want to assure you, the more of the spirit they have in terms of the more revelation and knowledge they are having, spiritual knowledge of these things, the more they become absolutely unstoppable. Absolutely unstoppable. The more joy they have in the midst of all the trials of life. I want to assure you of that. There may be individuals who have been single for a long time or perhaps barren. They've been married many years and they don't have children or they might be sickly in and out of hospital and so on. Or they may be betrayed by friends, for, by spouses and so on. Or they may be undergoing extreme persecution by the world. When you meet with them, they're joyful joyful a joy that the world cannot take away in fact they're doing even more they're sacrificing even sacrificing in their joy they're deliberately even sacrificing as they're serving the Lord and worshipping the Lord and so on those are not people you feel sorry for no those are people you admire. They have pledged their heads for heaven. They know that's where they are going. They know. 
when you finally visit them on their deathbed, they will tell you, don't feel sorry for me. <laughs> yes, the pain I'm going through now, yeah, yeah, you can feel for me. But very soon, I'll close my eyes, never to open them again on this side. I'm going home. 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 And when they've closed their eyes for the last time, you'll be saying, as the early Christians were described, as they were being persecuted, that these Christians die well. They die well. Why? They are marching to Zion. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this prayer of the Apostle Paul. We pray that this might be the prayer that we'll be praying for each other, that we might know these three things in a spiritual way by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And therefore, our lives might be impactful, fruitful, and joyful. For Jesus' sake, amen.